Yo, we're the Dandelions, and this is a verbal free write about why art makes a pretty good study guide, how knowledge works a lot like sex, and the very real war on the imagination. Welcome to the Lion's Den. And it always feels like, I think, um, personally through my educational experience, right, um, it always feels like just the way people talk about being artistic and the way people talk about being creative is always like that, like as if it sounds... It always sounds like the opposite of educated, right? You know, it always well, seems really like it's the same. You yeah, because you know we always talk about like oh, I would I'm gonna drop out and be an artist or stay in school and be this like you know what I'm saying and that I and there's it's, always just either that or that. It's a false dichotomy. Yeah, it's like um the uh, logic is the opposite of art, you know, and so <laughs> always it's <laughs> false dichotomy. It's the, it's the I think it's like the loss of like the artist being the everything man, right? So, like, Da Vinci was an everything man, mm-hmm. right? There's plenty of, like, examples of artists... Who's a painter and an engineer. An engineer, like, there's plenty of, like, an architect. He was mm-hmm. a lot of things, right? There are plenty of a botanist, he, you know, anatomist. Like, mm-hmm. he was the everything man. There's plenty of examples throughout history of artists using their art through every single medium that they could touch. Mm-hmm. They weren't just painters. They weren't just musicians. They weren't just bards. They were... People who did things, who did all the things. And I think that's been lost on the artists of today in a lot of ways. And I think that just has to do with the culture of specialization that we've like encouraged in general. Engineers have to be engineers, they have to do the engineering work. Architects have to do their architect work. Writers have to write. Like we ask people to specialize really early, and we ask people to specialize really hard. Like even in high school, like you choose your magnet program or you choose your AP track, and like all of a sudden that's all you learn. You just, you pick your thing. And that's it. I remember we had a conversation about how much, like, being academic, particularly, like, in the artistic, or even, like, like, two people who are, who feel underserved by education, kind of their current education system, or at least that they're placed in, how academic is seen as this, like, you know what I mean? Like, you shall be named type of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's this antithesis of everything that we're trying to be, and that's not entirely accurate, right? Like, it's, you can read. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I think it's important that you play to all sides of you, and I think that's something that gets lost because the education system is the way it is, and people feel that it's failing, so they want to, like, disassociate from it. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to be an academic. And so, like, for me, I've learned that, like, okay, well, I am an academic. I enjoy, like, learning things in a classroom and I enjoy the dialogues I have in classrooms and outside of that I'm a creator I like to do events I like to do whatever but it's like catering to both sides the academic and your creative intellectual or you're just I guess you're like standard intellectual and then your other side you know what I mean and I think sometimes even people who are like the highest functioning creators they they're missing something because they like they lose the innovative process that is combining education like standard education with the creative process what do you mean higher level lack of discipline just like people who consider themselves like high functioning creators oh like capital a artists like painters who are like aloof and yeah that's what i'm saying people who just consider and i'm like sometimes i feel like they miss they're missing an element because Mm. they're they're just disassociating they're out of touch they're out of touch and i think they're missing the innovation element which is forging one part of you with the other part. And so sometimes I feel like they kind of just cut off that side of them and then they're just 
the, the artist or the creator, but there's still that other piece that was once there. It's it, because it's always this stratification, right? And I think that's the problem. It's saying that being the it's it's saying that there are sides. You know what I'm saying? Instead of saying that I'm a person and therefore I let nothing person ish be alien to me. I totally like destroyed that quote, right? But it's this quote that says I am human, therefore I let nothing therefore nothing human can be alien to me. Um, it's kind of like saying specialization is for insects. Human right. beings are supposed to do all the ish, but um. Right now, it always seems that like I have to pick, or I have that I'm wearing a different hat when I'm being an intellectual and when I'm being an artist. And sometimes I'm like, no, I'm not wearing a different hat. I always see everything from the lens of a poet who's interested in business, who's interested in science. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't have multiple lens, or there's not multiple sides to my personality. It is just my personality, and it's here. And I don't think. Um, that's why I'm thinking, that's why I'm talking about art as education, because I was never a good student. You know, I've always been the person who taught, who he was either in the back of the class, not paying attention, reading a book or talking too much to his friends in the class. I always had a problem with doing homework, um, getting assignments done. I still barely do assignments and whatnot, but I've always been engaged in the classroom, listening to the subjects because I was always a poet, right? Mm. I was always listening to what people were saying. I was watching the teacher and the movements I learned through uh, poetry was, was kind of my, that gateway so that I could say, oh, wow, I am intellectual. I'm smart as shit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, But I didn't have, it wasn't because I was doing well in school. It wasn't because I was doing well in any of these regards. And now people look at me like, wow, I wish I could be eloquent, like Kosi and intelligent. I'm like, no, I'm not being an academic in this sense. I've always been academic, but because I was a poet, not I was an academic and a poet, right? And so I, I, I feel stratified. I, go ahead. Why is it set up like that? Because, like, part of it is that the way the school system works and the way we have worked it out of the culture is it's set up like that. We mm. are encouraged to specialize. We are encouraged to do one thing. We are encouraged to be one cog. And, like, why is it set up like that? Is that is, I don't know if that's inherently more efficient for the world. I don't know if it's just <laughs> easier. Like, there's, there's architects of society, right? There's, right? there's people and there's... You know, forces that have created the way we are. And I just don't know why we are that way. Well, there, there's this conception of humanity as, like, one of the first superorganisms or hyperorganisms in, in the sense that, like, we are... Humanity as a whole... There are parallels and correlations between the way that humans interact as individuals and the way that humanity as a singular unit reacts in that, like, we are one of the first species. Like, if you look at us as like the species as an organism like we evolve but like we evolve because we decide to evolve so that'd be like dna saying like i think this would be better switch and some nucleotides are fucked up you right. know what i mean like um but in just kind of in our you know like if you want to get really meta and philosophical with it it's like the evolution of the consciousness like you were saying about like what the goldfish only sees the room and the room is the universe like what can possibly be on the room and we see the observable universe like what can possibly be beyond that but like we as a species can see beyond that sure. as an organ right blah 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 <laughs> no set like no very few parts of the human body if you think of us as one organism are not specialized okay so so, so if you so it, you know us being social creatures and us being extremely reliant upon one each other uh, one another and our dominance in at least our observable sphere of influence being i think correlated heavily to our ability to work with each other and to coordinate and such mm-hmm. i think that is why 
Like if you have one job, you have one job, but seriously, like if you are responsible for one thing and you just do that thing extremely well, like I think the mentality is like that is the ultimate state of humanity is when everyone like is doing the thing that they're supposed to do so to the best of their, their role. Like it's all, or at least in one mindset, you know, like not necessarily that is, but so much as I think that there is, especially in industrial society, you know, like we, we are coming off of the industrial age where the industrial revolution, right? right. Right, and the idea of the assembly line and the idea of like you do one thing forever, but you do that very efficiently, you know what I mean? And I think that we translate that to blue collar jobs and or to white collar jobs and even to creative jobs and such. And it's that might be a bit of a stupid way to live. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, a person is multitudes, a person is contradictions, a person mm-hmm. is all that good stuff, right? Like, there's so much complexity to a single person, or there can be, to dumb it down to that is. I think ridiculous and I think the way it's set up is very much reminiscent of the industrial revolution is very much reminiscent of that age but we're coming into an age where you can't be set up like that and be successful you can't be good at one thing anymore the world moves too fast and yet still they well they They. still want us to specialize I think I think change is slow in large systems Mm -hmm. I think it's not that they they so like want us to specialize more so that they don't know how to give us the new education. Yeah. Like, how do you best prepare someone for a time where they need everything? Wait, hold, take that underlined highlight, right? Um, because I think that's kind of what we're trying to do, or that's our initial dissatisfaction, right? We don't feel, we feel trained to specialize, and we know that the world don't work like that anymore. You know what I'm saying? And so there's always this feeling in our classrooms that, like, this is good and well. You know what I'm saying? I, yes, critical theory. But I know, like, what's up on Twitter right now, you know? Right. And, so, and so it's that dis- disengagement, right? Uh, we're disengaged because the media that we're studying in school is not the media that we are living, living in. Or, or even the culture. I think media is a very is a complicated term to unpack in this setting, you know? Um, and it, causes, it carries a lot of connotation so much as media being the messenger and the carrier vehicle for culture. Yeah. You know, and the way that we consume culture is, like, culture, art, these are very highbrow terms for entertainment. At the end of the day, you know, like, people didn't make art or, like, you know, Da Vinci wasn't hired and Michelangelo wasn't necessarily hired to usher in like this new uh that might be inaccurate they weren't they weren't hired to usher in like a new like they weren't they weren't hired so that people thought about what they do they were hired because the stuff that shit's lit it's nice right it was nice to look right that's what and a lot of them were like poor to start out with like they worked their way up and they ain't never seen something like that before yeah (laughs) like when Monet did this shit people were like yo that's ugly and then like you know later on people were like that's dope. Vinci started at 45 or uh Van Gogh started at 45 (laughs) or something like that so I mean like so how do we bridge that gap? So like right now, we're, you mentioned yesterday, people are reading Beowulf and, you know what I mean, the Odyssey and Great Gatsby. And those are, according to according to people, those are kind of like pinnacle works. Yeah, literary canon, right? Right. But how do you bridge that gap between someone who just doesn't see Jay Gatsby and is like, 
I can relate to that. Like, I get that society. Obviously, yeah, it was dope. The Gatsby stuff. Get me Gatsby yeah. stuff. Yeah. But, like, um, you can't even begin to understand the, the motivator for that. Mm-hmm. You know, are we, let's think about it in an extreme example of French colonialism, right? In the sense of, like, you had homies in Dakar fucking, you know, like, the McGrath and shit, you know, so like, about, reading yeah, about yeah. snow. You know, like reading French writer poetry about snow. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's basically what is going on right now. You are teaching these black boys about snow and they have never seen snow before. You know? <laughs> or not even... You know, or can't even conceptualize what that might be. <laughs> this thing that falls from the sky that's like not it's water cold. or sand. It's like, where you, y'all have time to take walks? Oh, wow, that's so cool, Robert Frost. Right. You know? <laughs> like, I don't have time to watch... I don't have time for the road left tra- less traveled, you know? <laughs> um, I'm reading a book for class called Fire in the Ashes, and it's talking about, like, a young, I think she's like Guatemalan, Dominican girl named Pineapple, and she's, like, really outspoken, and, like, she does well with writing, but in class, her teacher asked her to write, like, a, some a, essay from, like, the perspective of, like, a French elite, like, woman, and she didn't do the assignment. And so the, <clears throat> the like mentor she had like suggested to the teacher, why don't you have her write this from the viewpoint that she would have had if she was living in that era, which is like of a black slave or something. Mm. And so the girl did it that way, and like her assignment was lost. But of course the teacher just like, well, but that's still not what I wanted. But I think that's how that's part of how you bridge that gap is making assignments for kids more not just kids but students in general making them more applicable to where that student comes from where they where they are in life you know what i mean it's essentially involving the student in the learning process right we think about education in terms of someone who knows gives information to someone who does not know so it implies that the person who's there the student does not know something right and i think that's the fundamental problem you know like it's assuming that you have no capacity. And I think a creative education, um, creators always interact with people as if there's something to give, um, something to to be had from the other person, not a sense of like drain from, but that we all creatives work in the... In, it's collaboration. What collaboratively? No, that's, that's a crazy point. And let me like hold that and then just to kind of like throw a side note um, for context, I think I, I just want to establish that like we all know this, but art being not necessarily so like painting and music and such, including that, but art, like our classification of art being you are someone who takes something that was and expands on it. So, for example, like we differentiate between the craftsman and the artist in, in the sense that a lot of people see like an engineer and doesn't look at it as an artist. But within engineering, there are people who like take a design for a bridge and then reapply it to new rivers and new landscapes and new like overpasses. But then you have the person who is making like the structural and like, you know, who, who's fucking the game up because they're applying these techniques and they're applying all of their knowledge to a new type of bridge or to a new way of designing a bridge. The same thing with like, you're trying to go into family sciences and public health, like focusing on the family. And a lot of people wouldn't see that as art, but instead of just like taking your knowledge and becoming kind of like a generic therapist who was working like family after family after family, just applying practices, you want to expand on that and push that further. And so therefore like you are an artist. Art is the creative and unique use of your skill set. Right. That's a great definition. Right. It's, it's a map. Art is essentially imagination. And that's the difference between... In practice. Right. (laughs) That's the difference between, like, someone who just continues to paint the same copy every day. Like, even even in, um, what do you call it, a forger. Like, the first time you look at a painting and you make a copy of that painting just by looking at that painting, that's art. 
when you're doing it the 50th time, that's not art anymore. That's just craft. You are very talented, but like the processes here of imagining, as we say, like that, that's gone. So to take that and then to take that concept of like what we consider art and therefore creativity and innovation, blah, blah, and to apply it to this is like the creator being synonymous with the teacher and with the educator and with the curriculum and them sharing just kind of like in a one-way street. Because we can't a, do that. If a creator, if there was a creator... Edu- I'm going to stop you out for a second. Yeah. I'm getting lost. Yeah. So, just like, hmm. The idea that's being espoused here is that the, the, the artist or the creator has a certain skill set. They apply it and, and they practice they practice that application in different unique ways. Mm-hmm. Imagination, right? You have a concept, you do it. And the other, the other parallel thing that we were talking about is how to involve students and learning and like thinking and getting them creative. Like, are but they see, that, that's like, the crux. That's the thing. You're, we're, think, you're, we're talking like, about it right now and getting them to do something. something? Uh, the model I'm proposing is not about getting them to do anything. What's, it's about getting. It's about saying, wow, all of your experience is so vital and so necessary to this learning environment right now. And so it's saying, let me start with you. You know, let's not start with the text. Let's start with the student. You know why, don't you, why don't you, we kind of hashed this a little bit last night and I think that'll give good context. Why don't you kind of share what happened at the conference? Cool, and the conference, there was a brilliant example of how, um, how a, a teacher um, last, by the last name Mooney um, was on, on NPR he was given an accolade for, um, in this classroom set, setting, he, uh, while the students were learning Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye, he put it in parallel with To Pimp a Butterfly. And so they analyzed oh, certain texts. Oh, snap, te- yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so they analyzed certain texts um, and listened to certain tracks and uh, decoded a lot of the lyrics um, as, and while they were reading it in tandem with the bluest eye because it talks about colorism, it talks about conformity, it talks about alienation, right? All of these different aspects in, in parallel. And the students ate that shit up, Candy, yo. Didn't K-Dot show up at the school? Then K-Dot showed up to their school yeah, as well as uh, doctors and professors um, came through and they had a panel discussion. They were talking to Kendrick Lamar like as a writer. And that's basically all I'm saying is to say that, yo, these people are writers. You know, like Kendrick Lamar and Schoolboy Q are writers. Let's treat them as such. They're from the same canon as James Baldwin, mm-hmm. Mary Baraka, you know, fucking Walt Whit- Whitman. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And to say that, the audacity to say that is to say that you are the logical next step. And I don't think that we ever come into spaces in which case we tell the students um, that they are the logical next step to this. Because to this everyone presents canon. the classics as untouchable. Right? It's because it is. <laughs> it is untouchable. But it's like we are always creating classics. I think that is the crux of it. Like, yes, the Odyssey is an extremely, like, that, that is a pillar of our culture being, like, descended from the lineage of Western culture, right? No one, I think, can take that away that Aristotle and such, like, all of the things that we do learn in school, yes, they're important, but. Our writers, the ones that we're consuming now, they are also important. And more importantly than that is what we're consuming is right. Like we get it. Like we don't have. We have to unpack the Odyssey because, like, not only are you just looking at the themes and shit, but you have to like one transport yourself to Greece and to figure out like, oh, that's what someone like. We have to have context for it. 
I have not all of it, clearly, but I have context for To Pimp a Butterfly. Like, I have context for an ASAP Rocky album and a Childish Gambino album. You have context for Foster's Home for Imaginary yeah, Friends. Friends. Like, you know what I'm saying? And Adventure Time and The Legend <laughs> of Korra, yes. Because then, then it's easy to connect with the themes. Like, people... The point of, like, a lot of these classics in schools is so you learn about these themes and you learn about these plot devices, but you can, when you already recognize them inherently, for example, in Avatar, everyone recognizes the plot devices <laughs> and, like, the themes in Avatar. Like, kids who are, like, seven years old figure yeah. out, like, yo, Azula's going crazy, and she's going crazier as the seasons go on. Yes. And she's going crazier as the seasons go on because of the maternal issues. Because this shit keeps happening to her. Yo, could that be like a thing? And like when a seven-year-old can say that, like, it's like why aren't we bringing like they're already they're already talking about it? Why aren't you bringing that into the classroom? Honestly, validating that. Honestly, what it is is I think that our teachers aren't agile enough. I think the problem is like we we have this model where the teacher like you teach if you can't do right. That is kind of the stereotype of our education system, and that like especially when you like. College professors are expected to perform and to be in their fields, or especially like the doctors and kind of like oh, yeah. the, the flagships of that institution. Like for Maryland, it's the journalism school and the business school and BSOS and engineering. Like they're expected to be performers in the field. But in high school, especially, and in primary in education. Middle school, especially, they're right. not expected to do shit. So, it's, so they, they learn this curriculum in their college, and they probably don't even fucking get half of it, right? But they, they're given this once and they're expected to continually pound that into students' heads. But instead, they need, like, we need to expect, one, we do need to pay them more, but we need to, with that, we need to push them to a higher standard of, like, you should be over here creating, like, adapting with the times. Like, you should be hip to what your students are ingesting because that's your responsibility as an educator. It's basically saying education is not a formula, education is an art. I also think, though, like, it's not just like the teachers aren't agile enough. Like you're not a teacher, you have this idea, you think this that the school system needs this. Yet you're not going out tomorrow to go teach, are you? Fair. And that's what's like that's not. I won't say a problem in in and of itself, but like mm. that's another thing is that there are people who just go to teach just because versus the people who can actually impact the school systems and want to make it a more creative process for students and children. We're not going to do that. Well, it's a That's a good problem, point. though. It's a cyclical yeah. problem. Right. I bet you a lot more people would be willing to teach if it paid a living wage, if it didn't start off with $30,000 a year. Or even... more struggling busting. The problem true. with education degrees and education programs is that it's too easy to get one. Right? Yep. It's way too easy to get like, or, mm, education. It is. It but, is, but, but like, it, I don't think it should be this hurdle so much as it should be... I don't think that it's there rigorous enough. There should be a yeah. Just there should how be a gatekeeper. Okay, okay, okay. There's okay. no for engineers. Yeah. There's the P. There's the there's the MCAT. There's the DAT. Like, but that the, I don't want to stray into that. I, I hear what you're saying, and I think I just want to like rein it back. Not because I don't agree so much as I think that there's this problem with MCATs and LSATs and standardized course, testing in general that I don't want to stray down that path because no, I think we all acknowledge it's like, like I do dude. think there should be some like for example like there's you guys know like um. Montessori schools, mm. like that's a completely different. That's a game changer for education right Fair. now. But you have to have certification. Seventy years old. You have to like. Yep. You have to be. You have to get certified. You have right. to take a test. You have to take right. courses. You know what I mean? And I think like if the education systems, if we're trying to make it go the way we want to, there should be something to say. Okay, well, you know what? I'm sorry. Like the shit you're teaching in schools right now is is antiquated. It's not for the students, and you're not qualified. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But what, what that would take is like a paradigm shift of artists and actual creators going into these schools and teaching. I remember like having art teachers who were the, the very few in the schools who actually had that, that thought process, you know what I mean? Like that higher level. And all the other teachers were just just fresh out of college, just teaching because, you know, it's, a, it's an easy job to take, you know what I mean? But. And Montessori is a game teacher. Like my girlfriend is a certified Montessori teacher. And the things that she uses in her classroom, she's free to use whatever she wants. If she wants to bring in an avatar, she's bringing an avatar. There's no one to say no to her because of the amount of rigorous training that she had to go through to get the certification in the first place. So there's a certain level of trust associated with the teacher. There's also a certain level of trust associated with the student, student. which is like even more important, right? Which Mm -hmm. is exactly what you're saying. Not saying Montessori is the answer because it has its problem, but like it addresses the crux of the other educational problem that they don't trust the student. They don't trust kids to learn. And when you don't trust someone, you create distance. And when you create distance, it's really hard to teach. Mm. The further you are away from someone, like the more distance you create emotionally, the harder it is to reach them intellectually. Like literally there was a study that says like students um, for, do 40% less like, like well in, stu- in classes, in coursework, when they don't feel something as simple as when they don't feel like the teacher cares about them. It was like that. <laughs> like it's from different What is that? Didn't you have a teacher that was like? And you, that's because you didn't feel like they cared about, about you. Did you have a teacher that was like townhouse and Beata? Was that so, you? So yeah, I actually, I thought about that again. I I'm interning for America Reads America Counts, and in the um there was a TED talk about it. We should watch it. But anyways, she like they asked us. They're like, how many of you guys had teachers that didn't like you? And I was, and they're like, how many of you had teachers and you knew they didn't like you? And I was like, me. And she's like, how did it make you feel? I was like, I didn't care. Because I know that she has a teacher, regardless of whether or not she liked me or not. But to your point, I had a teacher in third grade, Elise Holmes. She was like a middle-aged black woman. Nah, she was like 50. Short hair, and she would lose her temper in class. And all she would say to herself to remind, like, she had a mantra to remind herself why she couldn't spasm. She should just be like, townhouse Miata, that's all I'm doing this shit for, basically. And I remember that so vividly. Like, and she would like say one of us, like, I was disgusting, you know, I'm in school, but I was actually not disgusting, I was just very gifted. And I would do something, and she'd be like, Lord, townhouse Miata, townhouse Miata. And I used to say it right back to her, and I'd be like, townhouse Miata, like, okay, right. you're still here. Right. You know what? But like to that, to that, like, I'm saying like teachers, like one, I remember every single teacher I ever had. I remember their first name, last name, and I remember whether or not they did anything for me. The best thing that I ever that ever happened to me in like the school system was they took me out of my class and sent me to another school because like I told my teacher I was like I don't like how you teach class. And at first it was like a behavioral thing, whatever, whatever. But then they realized like no, there's a problem with how you're teaching and your student said so. But like what you said is that teachers don't trust students. It's not about how you want to teach. It's not about the curriculum that the, the government thinks you should be taught. It's about what the students need to open their all of their chakras in their mind. You know what I mean? And I think that's something that just doesn't happen right now. That should. And so, shout uh, out to uh, MLW. <laughs> like their teachers, like the people that are associated with that program who are professional teachers that we love and respect, and they do really good work. But yeah. something that I've noticed about them, so for example... Um, Dustin Jeter for context MLW being uh, Maryland Leadership Workshops and WSL being Lucy Lyons listen to our podcast comment great <laughs> um, shameless plug shameless plug but for example there's a we call him Coach Jeter right mm-hmm. Dustin Jeter and he teaches AP US History he teaches what's it called on level and below level and the biggest thing that he told me when I was like what are the challenges of teaching AP versus on level and below level 
He's like, one of the biggest challenges was always that uh, my colleagues wouldn't like it because I treated the AP kids the same as I treated the below level kids. This, like, I taught them the same things in the same way because it's not that a certain kid is smarter than the other in the sense that they're just gonna get it magically. It's that how much they wanna work and how much they are engaged with. And generally the AP kids are engaged with more than the, the lower level kids. So to Nandy's point, to Kosi's point, and to your point, and to mine, I suppose, it's <laughs> always about like the engagement with the child. But it's so much more complex than just having better teachers. There's also class sizes, well, right? It's class sizes, <laughs> it's, it's subject matter, and this is, I think, a great segue to something um, that I found interesting with the idea of the disengaged reader. They literally, in, in pedagogical like circles, they talk about this education crisis as a problem of disengaged readers. And there's uh, this Dr. Kirkland, um, I forgot his first name, um, he proposed that what if it's not disengaged reader to the literary text, it's the disengaged text to, to the, the literary, literary, to the literate um, student, student, right? Um, in the sense of figuring out ways to make sure that the, that going from the information, making sure that's more palatable instead of trying to train the kid to be disciplined enough to, to digest that. Figuring out how to, it's, it's basically saying the two students have not failed, but the teachers have failed, kind of like what you said in that sense. But um, it is changing kind of the way we do classrooms. I don't think, I know classroom size is problematic, but I'm just thinking like just the way we're going to, in our lives, we're going to be packed with people. Um, so I want to hire more teachers. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. I actually want to take that and kind of like jump tracks to something that we've talked about. And when you were kind of first starting your journey down figuring out that you wanted to be in the medical field and that you wanted to get into healthcare, mm -hmm. um, not specifically like surgical doctor, but you want to go into the family aspect of it. But you were telling me about Grey's, Anat Grey's Anatomy. You are telling me about Grey's Anatomy and how much that... Uh, even though, yes, like on one hand, it is an entertaining TV show, but more importantly to you is that it is like it gives you access to a world that you otherwise don't have access to. Yes. Or that you otherwise like even something as simple as like one is it dramatized? Yes, but it can't be completely one hundred percent artificial. Like there's still terminology that they have to get at least mildly in the ballpark of accurate, right? And it gives you a frame to like oh like. I'm kind of interested in this. Let me like take that thing that they talked about in the in the surgical procedure of the Hema Hobbit, and you know what I'm saying, like, and like oh, let me let me that. dive into that. <laughs> and especially, I think, I think what seems to me is more relevant, even more even more relevant to you is the the way that they carry themselves and the just kind of like this ecosystem of medical care that because you don't want to be in surgery, which they are in, but there's still this this world that like you haven't gotten a chance to really be intimate with. And I think that education can like should explore that in a way that's not like, let's play a Grey's Anatomy episode and see if you can spot the so on and so forth. But <laughs> I think that there's a way to leverage what people have already seen and consumed. And I don't know what it looks like, but, no, but in a more organic manner. Like, you just have to be cooler about it. It can't be this, you know what I'm saying? Like, this disconnected woman at the front of the lecture hall saying, like, this clip is from Grey's Anatomy. And, like, what does, the, like, what terms do you recognize in this clip? But, like, no, how do you, how do you use that narrative to really, like, connect it viscerally with your students but and with the audience? But making education more connective in general, there's already so much cool shit in the world. If you show people the cool shit, like, if you let... Med first year med students or high schoolers who want to become doctors go shadow a doctor for a day. Their perspective completely changes. 
if you let like freshman high schoolers like I really want to be an engineer, all right, bet. So go have a walk along with an engineer at an earlier age. Show them real things because there's lots of cool shit in the world. There's lots of cool mm-hmm. shit to see. Like it doesn't always have to be what's trending on Twitter. It could be something that's existed for thousands of years. They just have to see it. But in that same token, I hate that when they do the go shadow this or go shadow that, they give you the traditional roles. Yeah. You know, it says go shadow a boxer for a day. Go shadow an MMA fighter for a day. Go shadow a, a, a beats producer or sound engineer. It's always go shadow a doctor, a firefighter, a lawyer, a teacher. That's real. No one says go shadow a, a garbage truck driver for a day. You know what I mean? And that's like, I think that's another problem is that we, like, we lift up these certain... Certain professions. Professions. And then there's those students like ourselves who then get pushed to the wayside because, like, I did want to be a doctor, but then I decided I didn't want to be. But there was never anything, no one set an example of, what what about someone who wants to do this? or Like, Like they gave you an archetype of what a doctor does, and... Doctors do many, many, things. many things, and you realize. And they start different places, and that's right. the thing. Like, there's some students who can follow that path A to B to C to D, but there's some other students who want to go from A to X and back to B, you know what I'm saying? And there's not support for that innovative process. It's because you heard them like cattle. People are like herded like cattle constantly, especially in college freshmen. Yo! Like a hundred percent, like they're herded like cattle. And even into things when you when you access things like lawyers and doctors and these very prestigious like you know what I mean honorable, like right honorable like laureate type sure. professions like it's you're graded like beef like you're yeah. a, you're Kobe beef you're A grade you're yeah. B grade you're blue ribbon like yeah. but like if you come from presumably all A grade I don't know how that works and I don't want to act like I do but what I think like what makes sense in my mind of how that works is that like A grade beef comes from A grade cows. Like our A grade, sure. A grade, uh, whatever the mother cow or yeah. female cows are called. So, I have A grade heifers. There you go. <laughs> but A grade heifers. A grade heifer. Yeah. You should put it on shorts. <laughs> or other underwear on boy shorts. Anyway, so like in a similar way that like you're born into a social class and you're herded like cattle, but into these more prestigious and like. A grade professions, and if you're born like a step lower, you get the middle class, the B grade professions, and so on and so forth. That and that's, I mean, that's not something that we're, I don't even think we really want to start to try to unpack, but that's another like huge facet of it is just access. Like, do they, and I don't know, but do they go into the lower income areas and the working class areas and like offer them to shadow doctors? And that might be a fucking problem, right? Right. Like, maybe they do, but even still, it's just like, okay, like, I, like, even Talk if you take someone out of that... Finding the right doctor for them to shadow. Right, so like, like they might come there and this doctor might be from, you know, like, a high-class family and, one, be disengaged with that shadow. And, two, like, the student, even if they might actually have been hooked onto it with different contexts, they have no clue what the fuck is going on. Like, what, what the... I, I don't even know what half the words you're fucking saying are. You know what I mean? And, like, it creates that... Yeah. Maxine Green is this woman who's noted as an educational philosopher, author, social activist, teacher, etc. But she proposes, she's like a stand for um, experiential learning. And I think that was something that we were talking about, how impactful that is um, in the realm of shadowing someone, right? Um, but uh, yesterday, uh, Dr. Jamila, I'm really bad with last names, I'm almost missing one component of their name, right? But... She talked about how the, the etymology of the word no um, and how one of the 
the etymologies is it has a sexual connotation of to know intimately. Oh, no like knowledge. Like, yes, okay. knowledge. Gotcha, um, gotcha. Yeah. A-N-O-W? Like he knew his wife? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I knew my wife. Um, But to know in that realm, and at first it was like, okay, that might click because to, to the pinnacle of understanding another human being as we understand it is through that sexual intimacy. Um, It could be argued, you know, people who've had out-of-body experiences, blah, blah, I'm not going into that. But um, the idea of the intimate as the experiential, how there's, mm. you can know something in your head, but once you know something in your head kind of and in your heart, and that experience, through that experience is when you know something, to, you know something a little bit differently. And she argued that art is a way, is a way to kind of um, know things more intimately. Um, and that, so it's basically saying art is not a thing or a product, you're not an artist, but um, art is a process or a phenomena. We creatives use art to know or to do or to create in the sense of these are educational tools, right? Drawing, draftsmanship, poetry. Um, they argue that these are tools once we have experience turning, you know, fucking science, kinematic equations into raps, we know it a little bit more like intimately because one, we use our culture to digest it, right? Um, and so that's where Maxim Green relates to aesthetic education, but it relates to um, the artist in the, to know something like more intimately. It's the idea that you don't know something until you've done it with your hands. Yeah. Like, you, you, you can know it in your head, you can know it in your heart, but once you know it with your hands, then you know it. Mm-hmm. So like once you've made it, you know, yeah. put your hands in the clay. Once you've painted, once you've written, once you've built, like, you don't know it until you, like, do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, on one hand, the practice what we preach, know to know, like, in that using a term to describe kind of, like, a higher level experience is kind of the same, like, an avatar, as in, like, the alien avatar, like, I see, or whatever the word was, like, it represents so many of these, like, nuances between two beings that is not just like literally like I visualize you, pop or comma semicolon period <laughs> whatever some but, punctuation some form of punctuation but also to oh fuck and I completely got off my mind track uh, circling back and this will be edited out to go back to what you were saying about uh, mm, nope not coming that's unfortunate what were you about to say. I just had a question in terms of like, so there's very novel ways of doing this, right? Like mm-hmm. from the way like they studied Kendrick Lamar and Louis Dye and KDAT came in and it was amazing. But like to institutionalize it is so much more difficult. Yeah, it's, uh, that was my question for Dr. Kirkland <laughs> in the sense of, okay, that's really, no, not for Dr. Kirkland, Mr. Moody, the teacher. Um, he, my question was, how, so how do we replicate this small scale? Like, what if, I mean, it's all great and all to get Kendrick in here, but like, how do we create these moments for students, for learners, um, on a smaller scale? Does it, does it need to be Kendrick Lamar, you know what I'm saying, for people to realize, oh wow, the, um, there are contemporary writers right now who contribute to pop culture? Um, like, How about, uh, go ahead. Oh, I mean, I don't know if this will make sense, but like, I remember, have you guys seen like the Freedom Writers? Mm-hmm. Yes. And like, the person that they were able to connect with was like a survivor of the Holocaust. And things that she talked to them about was just like, you're all survivors, you're all heroes mm-hmm. in your own sense, because I mean, the industry kids, blah, blah, blah. So I don't think it has to be on the level of a Kendrick Lamar or whatever, but I think it's like, when you when you do what you do in the classroom the way 
um, Mr. Moody didn't have that follow through to like send it home was necessary. So it wasn't necessarily the fact that uh, Kendrick Lamar came here, but it was because of that practice in and of itself, and then it was compounded by the person, the person of, who was a literary, of the literary canon acknowledging it, saying, "Wow, you're teaching my my work." Because it also validates Kendrick, you know what yeah. I'm saying? But like, here's the problem. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I meant by the question. So when we did our hip hop unit in elementary school, I'll never forget this. All right, so everybody in the class you, had a, you actually had a hip hop unit in elementary school. school. I'm sorry. Everybody in the class was listening to uh, like Tupac at the time, yada yada yada, right? And they did a song, and it was a lady named Miss Sakadalskis. She was a middle aged white woman, mm-hmm. um, really nice, yada yada yada. And they did a song called I Missed the Bus by Crisscross. And it's just Bro, we had the same <laughs> unit. Yeah, right? Did you really? Yeah. Yes, but it's I missed thing. the bus. But it's, but it's just like, for, for real though, like you did that song. See, not everyone's going to be Mr. Mooney who's hip and who knows. Right. Like, right. You, and you can't institutionalize K-Dot because then it's like 10 years later when K-Dot's not relevant anymore. You can't keep using so K-Dot. So you be institutionalized relevant. We institution like we push How? we push we push the, the curators and the shepherds of the next generation to be like it, it takes more training and it takes it takes a commitment on their part to and again I actually really like what you brought up earlier because I do wanna correct that it's not the teacher's fault so much as like it is the system's fault that the teacher is kind of like That's cornered into these yeah. roles, right? Yeah. And I, I completely agree with that. It's not the individual. But it, they have to be pushed to take their own experiences and it doesn't necessarily have to be Tupac so much as they should be constantly learning. Maybe that's the whole crux of it is that like we, we think of school as this accomplishment. Done. Education, on with my life. And then the, and even those shepherds of education think of education as like an achievement on Xbox when in reality it's this constant process that you have to, like, you should never, lifelong students, never stop learning, never stop growing. I feel like now that I'm having this conversation, I'm thinking back, it's crazy that we had the same lesson, but, like, I think you said something just now about, like, it's about teachers taking, pulling from their experiences to teach their students. I had a math teacher, seventh grade, John Tavlis, and he was a homosexual male. And, like, in high school, not, sorry, it was high school, not seventh grade, so it was, like, nine, tenth grade. Mm. But, like, that would have been a valuable experience having had, like, another teacher teach about, like, homosexuality in a high school. But back then, like, that, it didn't happen. So it was just a bunch of dumb high schools running around saying, oh, this job is a this, and he's a that, and he's gay, blah, blah, blah. But, like, Mm -hmm. that would have, there's no reason I should have had to learn about, like, the LGBTQ experience in college when I had that example right there in front of me in high school. Yo, what if... What if it's not about the student's connection to the work? What if it's about the teacher's connection to the work? Wow. What if it's not that? Well, what if the point is both unnecessary? Perhaps. Right, right. And I agree with that. But at the end of the day, like I had a teacher that fucking sold. Like my Great Gatsby experience and my F. Scott Fitzgerald experience was very good. And I, I don't particularly like them as works of fiction. Like I think he's a fantastic writer. I don't connect with it, but. My AP teacher in high school fucking sold me that shit. And, and I agree with you that the uh, level of connection from the student is very important. But at the end of the day, I think, I think the difference is that I think the correlation that we might be attributing to cause and effect is really that when, stu- when teachers are so hip that they're pulling from Kendrick Lamar, they give a fuck. And that's what it is. Like, 
teachers who will push and who will like stay relevant and who will connect with what the sound of the times is like those kind of like zeitgeists like they just care about the content therefore they're really they're going to be engaged and they intimately know that they know the content in that context and they therefore they can help and shepherd these students to also know it and maybe that's actually that's where the problem with education lies or the problem with education the other thing though is also like Sometimes it's the teachers, like you guys said, that teachers are cornered, and they are because they can't teach certain things outside of the curriculum. I remember I had one teacher in high school, Doug Burgess. I had him for psychology, honor psychology. I had him for AP U.S. history. And the thing about him was that, like, he did not give a fuck about what admin thought. He did shit in his classroom his way. Like, mm. I remember there was a time he was trying to make a point about, like, the, um, like whatever those plague things are like in present day with the crickets and shit like that and he brought he came to class Cicadas? yeah and he like threw up <laughs> like a thousand crickets in the classroom at all of us or like he was talking about mm, that's stuff. scary as shit it was but you're gonna learn <laughs> about them next right you're we gonna talk like, about them though we were like talking about woodstock and he had like 15 students into like a tahoe or something like a really small car so it wasn't a tahoe but you know what i mean and like of course like admin did not they didn't appreciate him leaving school to drive around the block with all of us in the back of his truck. But like all of those lessons are things that stuck with me. I remember I had a conversation with him once. I remember he was teaching about like those hell houses that Jane Adams started. And he was talking about the Trail of Tears one time. And he was trying to drive his point across with the Trail of Tears. And he was like, well, who cares? But I didn't read it that way because I was just like all of the majority looking students in the classroom like they thought he was serious like but what he's trying to say was that at that time nobody cared about native americans so when he started talking about all of these caucasians and hull houses i raised my hand and i said mr british it's like who cares i know and he like he didn't get upset he pulled me aside and he was like what's like what was going on today i've never seen you react that way to one of my lessons like let's talk about this and like that is how like my creative process process started going but he was mm-hmm. one of the only teachers I've ever had that did things that way. And to this day, like, I know him. My mom knows him. He taught my sisters. You know what I mean? Word. And he was one of those teachers who, like, he taught AP. He taught the oh, remedial classes. But he did it all in the same way. So all the football players who were in his standard course, they got to do some of the same stuff that we did in AP. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, other AP teachers treated the AP students like gods. Gods. And mm. Mr. Burst was just like, well, one, one, I'm not going to change my my lesson plan and right that's more work for me that's more work for me one right two it's unfair for me to try to quote unquote dumb it down that's unfair because yeah. then it's like y'all y'all think like they're not gonna hear in the cafeteria oh yeah we went to jump in his jump castles and y'all had to sit in the and then that's how house. you that's how the uh self-fulfilling prophecies happen and when you like put yeah. people into dumber classes they may not be dumber, but they will get they dumber. Will get they dumb. will act dumber. That, so in my okay, so I moved to to, to um, Berkeley Middle School, and I got to the school and they put me on the team. In the, the all, every grade was divided into teams. So when I got there, the four teams in the sixth grade were the Swamp Foxes, Bulldogs, Eagles, and Panthers. Now, if you think about those animals and what they represent, the Swamp Foxes, the Swamp Fox. Oh, Swamp Foxes. This is in South no, Carolina. Swamp have... Fox. The Swamp Fox. This is in South Carolina. South Carolina. So that's all you know. Bulldogs, Eagles, Panthers. And they put but, me on the swamp box team. So I'm obviously, I was raised by two very astute individuals. So I'm like, I'm looking at the swamp box and I'm like, well, how does this seem like none of these kids care about school? I looked at the Eagles. 
I was on the Slot Fox team for like two weeks when I moved, and then they moved me to the Panthers team. Everybody on the Panthers team are the people that I graduated in my AP classes with, top Shit. 25. And that's called tracking. You guys yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I realized that, I'm like, that is the most fucked up like system. Because like, as opposed to having blended courses where you have a student who is strong in math helping that kid who's not, they're just separating and be like, well, this is the dumb team. So the next year, there were the diamonds, the sapphires, the rubies, and something else. And it teaches you to compartmentalize people. Yeah, ex- exactly. Shit. Oh, it creates complexes. Like, yeah. Like, it creates huge complexes. And I'm, but I'm like, the even like the terminologies they use for the teams, like they had, then the next year was the knights, the cavaliers, the something, the something, you know what I mean? And I was just like, it was, it was literally the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Like, looking back, because I knew what it was then. But I didn't realize how it affected everybody later. So, like, the groups of people that graduated, like, the people in the Slum Foxes, they left school. They had kids. Right. They didn't graduate. And some of them did. You know, some of them, like, they were, it was almost as though it was, like, social mobility in, mm-hmm. like, education, which is messed up. You know what I mean? I think that's a, actually a brilliant segue into, I think this could be our, perhaps, last, um, set of ideas, so I hope everyone spits some, some bars, but uh, this idea of the of Angela Davis visited the University of Maryland um, this week and she talked about something at the end that I found most, uh, no one was talking about but I thought it was brilliant, but she talked about the privatization of the imagination um, she talked about capitalism privatizes the imagination in the sense of the artist um, in the sense of Putting the art, artist in this corner, in this box, and you think this is the artist, and they stay there in their corner in their box, and they think outside of it, and they do pretty art things over there. Um, and so, in the sense where it's privatized in this, in this sense, and I don't even know if that's the way she interpreted that, but that's the way I was interpreting it as it. Um, we think of artists as operating inside society, but outside of society. And so, therefore, it creates this stratification between people who identify as artists and people who do not identify as artists, and kind of what they and the, the, the initial sets of capacities that each one of those types of people have. And so I'm imagining um, in ways, models to create ways so that we do not have this privatization of the artist and it just feels like all human beings are equipped with creativity, with art. Art is not as, and even I think it can get lost that like this conversation is not about art as a vehicle of education, but art being the goal of education. But not in the sense yeah. that everyone should be painters, yeah. but just like art is. But good writing being poetry, right? Good, a, a good idea, a good visual aesthetic is art. Right. You know, a good thought is art. But Thinking even a good doctor and like a researcher and is like art. art. And so right. That if I and I, I mean I don't know if you guys turn in, but like that's the importance of like Lucy Lines. Is that like for me? I remember there was a time when like I was in the group with y'all and I was just like, this is not where I'm not an artist. Like I was like, well. This dude does poetry. This chick like paints. This person like writes, and I'm like, that's I'm not. You know what I mean? But I had to go through a process of realizing that things that I like, you defined art as using your talents, like in creative and like innovative, just pushing the yeah, envelope. Like that, you create so the that's next norm. What this group has done for me is make me realize that everybody arts differently. Mm-hmm. Whether it's creating events, executing events. Whether it's mentorship, the way you art and the way you inspire is always going to be different. It's not just about the traditional sphere of art. Because I remember art class was strictly painting, coloring, and pictures. Mm. You know what I mean? Whereas opposed to in a 
in if in the model that we're trying to create, an art class would be creative writing is an art class, painting is an art class, theater is an art class, as opposed to all of these separate compartmentalized courses. It would be one art class, and every way that you art or any way that somebody chooses to art is in that class. You feel me? True. Art being a verb instead of being a subject. So the thing is, like the the definition I guess that we put forth much earlier was that art is the creative and imaginative use of your skill set to its maximum potential, right? And I think that pretty much resonates with all of us. And to like to your point about you know art classes being all encompassing, not only do we need to rethink the way we're teaching art, we need to rethink the way that we make art pervasive throughout all our other subjects. Yeah. Oh, and uh. I'm gonna let you finish, but okay. not a but. But I actually wanted, I forgot to jump on a point that you made earlier about the academic and the art and them being kind of like symbiotic. And I actually disagree only in the sense that I think that I think that the academic and the art are kind of like they're not two separate sides of it so much as they are like one part of the an organism. Like in a sense that you can't have a house without a foundation. Foundation. Ugh. That the academic is essentially the research like that is in a way as an artist you have to figure out your craft first like if you're not a good painter then you can't expand on it you have to figure out where you are to get somewhere else and i think that that's kind of an important justification or an important clarification to make in that like that is extremely important that those two things like you cannot have the future without the past to come back though all i was saying is that we have to think about how art is pervasive in all our subjects and so mia mia actually taught a workshop on this at the Advanced yeah, Leadership Seminar, hosted by MLW. Um, shameless plug. Shameless plug. It is what it is. <laughs> it just happens. I might as well talk about it. And it was a workshop on creative collaboration. And the tagline was like, yo, let's collab. And her, her biggest point when developing this workshop was getting everyone to realize that they're a creative person. And that is the biggest barrier, I feel like, is that... People be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not, I can't, that's so cool, you're, you're like one of those creatives, and it eats me, because it's like, you're separating me from you, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> Wait, hold up though, go ahead, hold on. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry, my bad, my bad, my bad. So, so, the idea that everyone can be a creator, and that everyone, through this creative process, because creativity is a process, yes. right? It is a process that is practiced, it is a process that is honed, it is a skill set in itself that is accessible to everyone in different ways, but it's accessible to everyone, is so important that it needs to be taught in schools. Yes. And that's what I mean by that art needs to be pervasive in all our subject, is teaching that creative process in everything that we teach. The way you teach math should be creative. The way you teach art itself should be creative. The way you teach English should be creative. And it should be sort of hounding that process because that process is ultimately problem solving. And problem solving is the skill set that lets you do anything. Once you learn how to solve problems, it doesn't matter what the problem is. Yeah. You will find a way to solve it. How about, and this is something I want to, I don't want to completely unpack right now, but to even jump on that, what about the, what about the concept of creativity? What if it's not for everyone? And only in the sense that, but it's not for artists. What in the sense that in a way that leadership is an extremely important trait, but let's be honest, Leadership is not for everyone. It is not, being a leader does not make you right. We have this concept of leadership being the pinnacle of like, the leaders are like the ultimate, the ubermensch. You know what I'm saying? And what if it's instead that like creativity is not what the painter does so much as creativity is what people at the top of their game do. Feel me? I and, think that the point isn't that everyone 
is creative is that everyone can be creative, right? Because it's not some sort of inaccessible skill set that is only reserved for those who can like draw very nicely. Mm-hmm. It's the idea. It's not so much that everyone is going to be a creative, that everyone can be creative. And there's a huge distinction there, right? Because when you realize that everyone can be, it opens a lot of doors in itself. So maybe you never become the best painter. Maybe you never even become the best at what you do, but you at least allow yourself the room and the space to grow into the best that you are. And that's what like being creative with your skill set is. And if we acknowledge that art is being creative with your skill set, you're therefore an artist. I agree. And going back to what you said, um, you being you, Jeremy. Um, but now yeah. going back to what Kosi said, actually, is that he was like how he's not like an academic and a poet. Like he is all that is one. And I think that through this conversation, I was able to like reach that same thing. Because whereas before, like, I remember being in, like, the Ronald E. McNair Research Program, which is a tight program for people right. who want to get their doctorate oh, degrees. You, you with that? Yeah, I'm a McNair scholar. And I remember having that, like, internal struggle where it was like, damn, like, if I'm not rocking with McNair, I forget about my academic side. But if I'm not rocking with WSL, then I forget my creative side. Whereas, like, if I'm the sum of those two parts, it's not yeah. like they're, they're not mutually exclusive. It's just, like that is what I am, you know what I mean? And so everything I do has to cater to me. Not It doesn't have to cater to my academic, it doesn't have to cater to my creative, it has to cater to me. To you as a person. I am that, you know what I mean? And so I think like, I'm grateful that we have this.